now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello and a very good Sunday morning to you. It is indeed Scotland's talking. I'm Ali Bally with a very political edition of the talking today. We're going to start by giving you a chance to have your say on the issue that's dominated the week, Brexit. Which way would you choose now? We can choose to leave with no deal. We can risk no Brexit at all. After two years of bungled negotiations, the government has produced a botched deal that breaches the Prime Minister's own red lines. This deal is dead in the water. It is now clear that there is not a majority for this deal or a no deal. What do you think of this deal then? And after 11 o'clock is a chance to put another of Scotland's party leaders on the spot. Labour's Richard Leonard will be with me in the studio and you can ask him anything you like. He's certainly got things to say about events at Westminster. Theresa May's government is falling apart before our very eyes. The Northern Ireland Minister, gone. The Secretary of State for Work and Pensions, gone. Even the Secretary of State for Brexit, gone. So get your calls in now. The lines are open 0333 2020 401. This is Scotland's Talking. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Well, it's been a tumultuous week in politics as we reach what uh, Theresa May called the Brexit endgame. 874 days after we voted in the referendum, the Prime Minister announced she'd reached a draft deal for how the UK will leave the European Union. It's over 500 pages long. But the question is, is it worth the paper it's written on? She's got the Cabinet to agree to it, but a number of her ministers quit, including the Brexit secretary himself. So is there any way, do you think, she can win a vote in Parliament? If you'd asked me a couple of days ago, I would have said, no, she probably can't. But, I've, you know, despite all the, the, the team of five getting behind and saying, well, we're behind the Prime Minister, of course, we're serving in our Cabinet, but we want more. Um, and despite all the, the negatives that we, we need someone else, you know, to go to Europe and fight for more, I just have that feeling that she may get this through Parliament. Does she have a future in Downing Street? That is another completely different question, of course. One you may have the answer to. If you do, then please get in touch. The phone lines, etc., are all open now. Do, 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 down, do, be, do, down, down. Come, come, down. I firmly believe, with my head and my heart, that this is a decision which is in the best interests of our entire United Kingdom. If you go, then I'll be blue, cos breaking up is hard to do. We can choose to leave with no deal, we can risk no Brexit at all, or we can choose to unite and support the best deal that can be negotiated. This deal is dead in the water. 
there is not a majority for this deal or a no deal. The Prime Minister must go back to Brussels. Come on, baby, let's start anew. Cause breaking up is hard to do. After two years of bungled negotiations, the government has produced a botched deal that breaches the Prime Minister's own red lines and does not meet our six tests. The reason why the people of this country are so fed up is because they've been made so many promises, none of which have been delivered upon because they can't be delivered upon. Cause breaking up is hard to do. So the Prime Minister says we have three choices. Her deal, no deal, or even no Brexit. So which one would you pick? And would you like another referendum, a so-called people's vote, to settle the issue? But, but would it settle the issue? Would we not be back where we started? The people did vote. We have had the people's vote. It was get out or stay in. And the majority said, get out. Should it therefore then be like, you know, that's what the public said they wanted, uh, the voters. So therefore, should it be left to the government of the day, as it has been, to come up with the rules and regulations and, and without going back to the public? Because, you know, do we really understand all the ins and outs of this 500-page document. It's impossible for us. Is that not why we elect people as our MPs anyway, our rulemakers? You know, we've told them, the majority said, we want out of Europe. So if they stick to that, then they should come up with what they think is the best deal. But it's taken us two years to get to where we are at the moment so really, when we've just got through to March to go, is it a bit late to say, well, let's go back to the negotiating table? Because all along, the things that we were promised, if we left, by Boris Johnson, uh, Michael Gove and others, that this would happen, that would happen, that, you know, these were our wishes. You know, they never said... This is what was going to happen. This is what you will get through because Europe didn't agree to these things that we're talking about, the 350 million or whatever that was going to go into the health service. Europe never said, yeah, you, you'll get that. And yeah, that's what will happen. That was our wish list or their wish list, the leavers wish list, which actually has become a bit of a, a noose because, you know, none of it really is out there for us to get. So were we expecting too much in the first place? Your thoughts. 0333 2020 401. Where are we as far as you're concerned on Brexit? Is it good? Is it bad? Where do we go from here? Like your comments on that. I know it's been a, a heavy week on this, you know, but it is the biggest thing that we've been talking about for years. It will set our country in a way that we're not quite sure where it's going at the moment. It's just, you know, I don't understand it all, and I hold my hands up to it. What about you? Now, what would you do now? And if you think, like I've heard, you know, some people saying that she should go, this is me I'm talking about, she should go and let someone else come in and take the negotiations. But who? 
That's what the Brexit secretary, who just resigned a couple of days ago, he's been saying this morning. Somebody else should go over to, to Brussels. He, he wasn't keen, he wasn't happy with her lack of negotiating uh, stance. She just sat back and accepted it. So is he putting himself up there um, as, as a potential prime minister? Boris Johnson, potential prime minister? Michael Gove came out and said he's totally behind the Prime Minister. I'd be worried if I was her. But who is there? Who's going to lead this country? What do you think? O treble three twenty twenty four o one. That's the number to give us a call on. It's quarter past ten. And just a reminder, in the next hour is when we'll be talking to the Scottish Labour leader, uh, which was lined up before all this happened. So, you know, you can can stick to Brexit with him or you can see and try and get into uh, what he is actually going to do for Scotland. What would he do different for Scotland at the moment? Uh, Richard Leonard, Labour leader for Scotland, will be joining us after 11 o'clock. But the, the phone lines are there for you at the moment. And of course, uh, it's, uh, you can come through on uh, Scotland's Talking hashtag Scotland's Talking uh, as well you can do that if that suits you on Twitter uh, but let's go on the phones uh, Philip is there Philip good morning how do you Ali I'm alright thank you so where are you on all this then well it seems that this self-confessed bloody difficult woman has got herself in a bloody difficult mess Right. Why is she a difficult woman? Why, you know, well, do we do we not need a difficult woman to go up against the Europeans who have just said right from the start, well, let, let's punish Britain. They want to leave, so let's punish them. Well, obviously she's not going to be doing a good job because what she's presenting is, make, is uh, attracting widespread opposition. Not just from the political opponents, but from people in our own party. Uh, and there's actually... Um, um, moves afoot, you know, to try and uh, mount a leadership challenge against her. Authorities mm. being questioned. Right. So in the, um, going back to just what I was saying before there, in the, if there were to be a leadership competition, so to speak, if there is the m- amount of letters that are required to go in to kick this off, who would you see as the next Prime Minister then? Well, Who's standing well, in the wings that would go, yeah, they would do a really good job? Well, obviously, the one person that's on everybody's lips is the blonde one, Boris Johnson. Really? Yes. Oh, come on, Philip. Surely... He might, he, might, he, he might say that he's no interested, but he's a very ambitious man. He's made no secret of being Tory leader. Right. I just, I just don't see him as, a, you know, a world leader. Well, they, they thought that, well... <laughs> They thought that about David Cameron. They thought that about Tony Blair. Proved right with David Cameron. Mm-hmm. So you would go for the blonde bombshell then, as our next one, Boris Johnson. Seems like he's going to be the only one who's going to put his hand in the ring. No, I think if... if um, if it, it's a bit of a poison chalice, actually. Whether you'd, you're, you're safer if you're in the Conservative Party, you say to just take take one step backwards and say, let somebody else get on with this one. Uh, maybe this is not my time. I don't know. Uh, well, you, you speak about poison chalices. What, what about the woman that's in charge now? Is she not a poison chalice? I don't know if she's a poison chalice or she has actually gone and got the best deal that we could possibly get. We've gone through... What, what stops me there, though, is we've gone through two Brexit ministers... 
Um, you know, David Davis and the one that's just left as well. He lasted about a week. And both both were basically saying they were being hampered, not by so much by uh, the Prime Minister, but by the civil servant who have been doing the negotiations because it's them that have been doing them, not, not her. She goes in at the last minute and, and says what the um, civil servants have been telling us to say. Well, in that case, then, it should be the civil servants that should be sacked. Ah, but they always manage to hang on. They do. That's forever, Ali. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting times, Philip. Um, wh- where would you like to see it go now, then? You would like to see her resign? I just want to get it over and done with, Ali. There have been two years of dithering. You know, when I put my uh, cross in the box uh, to leave in the referendum two years ago, right, I didn't foresee all this dithering and nagging about. I mean, I just want it over and done with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and I think I speak for a great deal of people in this country. But it's not, you know, when we when we officially leave in March, it's not over and done with, is it? Because it's no. there's a two no. year transition period, yeah, transition. and we could be stuck in the the system for years to come, having yeah. you know being ruled on some of the laws and on the customs, but having no say in actually uh, anything that goes on. Yeah. Re- yeah. It's frustrating. Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I honestly can't see the reason for this transition period, Ali. You know, I just, the people say they want to leave. Fair enough. We leave. Clean break. Over and done with. Done and dusted. No deal. You'd be happy with no deal and just get on with it. Yes, Ali. Yes. OK, thank you very much indeed, Philip, uh, for your thoughts this morning. If you have some, then 0333-2020-401 is the number if you'd like to join us. Let's go to John in Perth. Hi, John. Good morning, Ali. How are you doing? I'm tickety-boo, thank you. Yourself? How, how about a circus? This political circus? One doesn't know what the other's thinking about or whatever. We pay them loads of money to think and run the country. It's a complete shambles. And the two people, like Mrs. Sergeant, whose ambitions is to destroy them, whatever, for herself, not for anybody else, but herself. She's going to destroy her party as well. But... They're making it a circus, you know. And when it comes to Europe, Europe's got their own ambitions, and they're the same. They, they'll stand by whatever they want. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very difficult. And Mrs. Theresa May, the poor woman, she must be around the bend. But all the people that stand there on the back and jump away, but she can handle the situation. There's not many people can handle a situation like that. She's got this. She's got it. Like I think so I, I would vote for her rather than. I mean, I, I wasn't a part of the Scottish. Nationalist Party. I, I came out because Mrs. Sargent's ambitions is not for the party, it's for herself. Who is she that? So, who are you talking about? Europe. Who are you talking Mrs. about? Mrs. Sturgeon. Mrs. Right, okay, Nicola Sturgeon is for her... Right, you're, yes. sorry, I didn't quite yes. catch who you were talking about. Her ambitions is for herself to get into Europe. She's not interested in Scotland. The sooner we get rid of her... How can you say Nicola Sturgeon's not interested in Scotland? What's... Because you can see what she's always on about... Theresa May, both of them are fighting against each other for 
one against another. Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Come on, come on, John. It doesn't matter whether you're um, a Nicola Sturgeon fan or not. If you, you know, if you believe in what the SNP are doing, it does. You know, or you're you're a Tory or you're Labour. It doesn't matter because uh, on that particular comment you're making there, that she she she's in for herself and not for Scotland. Everything she everything she does is surely for Scotland, because that's 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 her political makeup. That's what she does. She's with the SNP, which is about Scotland. No, no, no. It's about her herself. It's her herself. She's everywhere. She's trying to get here. She's in. She joins all these political debates and for just to get herself votes because she knows that the next election she's going to be out the door. Somebody's going to take. I don't know who's going to take her place, Alice. Well, exactly. It's difficult. <laughs> Who? Okay, let, let's 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 move let's move away then from Theresa May and Brexit for a second. Uh, if you're saying that uh, Nicola Sturgeon in the next election is going to be out the door, um, but then on the next comment you say you don't know who's going to take over. There isn't a a credible well, opposition not, there, at the moment. No, there's nobody in the Scottish Nationalist Party. Well, I don't know any, but again, it's difficult to get somebody that can take over. The whole situation is shambles, I mean. Two years of talking, and they're all falling between each other, and what they think is necessary. What the, it's all a circus, you know. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be great, John? Or probably something that we would like to think of, but probably won't happen if that all the political <laughs> parties actually sat round, had a coffee, and and said, right, how <laughs> yes. can we work for the best of the country? Yes, I mean, for the country, for the this country of ours, Great Britain, that stood alone for as long. And we can do it, even though we've got a no vote. I mean, we can still do it. I mean, they all give the threats of the threat of the threat. You can't do this, you can't. They don't know the story. They don't know the story. <laughs> John, <laughs> just, just finally, you've, you, you know, you've been on the programme for several times over the years. So I'm, I'm just getting clarified in my mind here. Um, okay. you, you, you used to be out campaigning for the SNP. Now you're saying that the next election they're, they're going to be at the door. Well, the, the leader, Ali, the leader, not the party. I would love the I love Scotland, and I love Scotland to be on its own and be a, a, a representable country. I, I, I love Scotland. But again, the, the woman who leads it, I, I don't, I've lost faith in her. And a lot of people I spoke to you say they've, they've lost faith in Mrs. Sturgeon. She's, she's not the leader we thought. Okay, thank you very much indeed, John. That number again, if you agree or disagree or have a view on Brexit, 033-2020-401. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Andrew Lamb, are we a family, as they were singing about there? Most definitely not. I mean... I think, like most people, I was amazed that she got her own cabinet to kind of get the the deal over the line, Ali, after she spoke to them, then followed by, you know, a load of resignations. So there's nothing family-like about that lot, Ali. And the biggest fear now, if Parliament, as it looks like, will vote this whole deal down, you're going to end up with a new deal, Ali, and that's surely going to create chaos for everybody. So... I said to you from day one, I think, the deal that some of the the folk in this country are looking for, they're simply deluded, Ali. It's never going to happen. And that was as good as it was ever going to get, I believe, that she came back with. And I think that was probably quite a fair deal for for all concerned. Mm. But the, Um, the politicians that were promising all the goodies when we were talking about leaving or staying, 
they, they must be held responsible, surely. Without a doubt, without a doubt, Ali. And I mean, the likes of Johnson and, and you know, the, the, the Reese Morgan, these guys, and even Esther McVeigh and Dominic Rabb, the lot of them, you know, they're here to serve the blooming public, Ali. Not, not their own egos. They'll argue that they left because their own voters, you know, would maybe lynch them if they accepted. But if that's the case, then why should we be faced off with a very hard right-wing English-type, you know, vote, Ali? That's the thing that's beginning to annoy me a wee bit now. It's, you know, the, the English people, I think, by and large, some of them maybe would have changed their mind, but there's far too many of them still taking this right-wing view that Britain's best and that they're thinking to the past about the empire and stuff. That's gone, Ali. And, you know, it maybe moves us a step closer to, God forbid, another referendum for independence now. I said to you a few weeks ago, why swap London for Brussels? But what we've seen in London these last few days makes me sick of the whole setup, Ali. It leaves us in a situation, though. I mean, I, I, I was reading um, parts of it over the last couple of days there, you know, and, and when you're reading that um, there are lorry parks being constructed on the, the Dover routes because they're going to have to park them there because it's going to take all this time to get lorries through with goods on. But uh, and, and also the reports, you know, the, that if that does happen, if we go for this no deal in, the, the, you know, this border yeah. situation, uh, surely... Um, the French wouldn't stand for that. I mean, it's okay, the Europeans and the little, you know, uh, in Brussels there saying this is what we're going to do. But um, people that are, and, and I'm thinking German car makers, not being able to get their cars over to this country because there's a big blockade going on. It's taking yeah. them weeks to, you know, farmers trying from um, from France who, you know, come across here with, so many hundreds of trucks every day come into yeah, the UK. Yeah, they're not, they're not going to stand for that. I mean, they protest about. They were protesting yesterday. That's right. Yeah, which is what we should do. Is we take a leaf out their book, whereas well, we we just actually go to the pumps and say, "Oh, it's up by another two pence. That's okay then." You're probably you know right, Ali, because maybe the British do take it standing a bit, and that's you know they've milked the goodwill of this country far too long. I think, Ali. And the bottom line is maybe the British people should say, right, accept this deal, because if you don't, you're going to have a blooming, you know, revolution on your hands. So you're going to create absolute chaos, the likes of which we haven't seen probably since the end of the last war, Ali. Mm. I, I also, you know, hearing on, on television and radio interviews and things about just what you were saying, going back to the sovereign state and Britain being great yeah. again. Britain was never that great when we went into the common market at the at the time anyway. You know, it's, it's a been a long point. time since manufacturing was great in the in the UK. Well, I would say we had our halcyon days in the 1960s when we designed and built so many good things and we flogged it all off, Ali. We took the quick buck and ran as usual. So you're right. I think Ted Heath had no option but to go in because, as usual, we were probably skinned, Ali. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got a tickly cough here. <coughs> Let's hope you don't need any medicines coming across from... Uh... Well, God, I hope I'm not waiting for that. <laughs> Going, especially if they're coming from France. Indeed. Andrew, well, nice to talk to you, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Bye -bye. That's uh, Andrew Lamb in Fraser there. Uh, where we'll go next? Let's go to... Um, da -da -da -da, press buttons here. There we go. Uh, we'll go to Michael in Bridgeverne. Michael, good morning. How are you? Good morning. So, we're I'd like to make one point at the start. Right, go for it. 
There's twenty billion pound of Scottish money go down down to the London. You know, mm-hmm. it's taxpayer taxpayers' money. That's one point. Second point is, if you've been watching news as much as I have, not once Scotland has been mentioned or the four other countries in the UK. They say it's Britain. There's four other countries. You know? Yeah. Not once it's been mentioned at all. And to me, and this is just me in, in a way, the Scottish Tory party should be ashamed of themselves of that as well. So you think they should have been standing up and shouting about this then? Oh, Michael? definitely. Yeah. You know, uh, to me, this Brexit deal, I'm not for it because I think it's going to cost the country a lot more to go over to that. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a no deal for you. You, you. What would you rather do right where we are now then? What would you rather be doing? I'd rather stay put where we are right now and not spend as much as the country's money. Stay put in what way? Stay stay in, in Europe? Have another vote and hope that it goes? Yes. Stay? And I think Theresa May has been headstrong. Why she's frightened to put it back to the country, and this is my views, is she knows she'll lose hands down. How would she lose? You, what do you think the vote would do? I think people are seeing the damage it can do now. Quite a few people, I think they can see... Now that they didn't realise what they were actually voting for at the specific time, yeah. Right. So you think now people would vote to stay? Oh, I think they would. Right. So Theresa May wouldn't lose then because she wants to stay anyway. She was a, she was a Remainer. She you know she she didn't want to to come out of Europe, so she would actually win. Yeah, but you see, Ali as well. What we've seen seen on the news, she's. Headstrong, she'll not listen to any of her own parties. You see them resigning every day. But she's every late, minute of the day. Somebody, look at it this way. Any party at the moment seems to be split down sort of the middle, if you like, um, with those members who want to do one thing, members who want to do another. So she and, and the Conservatives are no different. They, they are split. So in a split, you need a leader, and surely that's what she's doing. She is leading, and she's saying she's made the decisions of the way it should go, and that's what she's sticking to. She's sticking to her guns. She can't keep changing her mind one way or the other, can she? I wouldn't say change her mind, but she's got to, as they say, put it back to the country, right. to the voters. So back to the country, and if you don't like the next vote, what do you do then? Go back to them again. Well, you just have to take it as it is, you know what I'm saying? And at the end of the day, Michael, we've only got about three months of this. You know, there is no time to go back to the country. The time they set up a a referendum, if you like, that's going to take a couple of months. Well... I just don't see the time. We've taken two years to get to where we are at the moment. Um, A second vote. I I, I understand what you're saying. You know, did you vote remain or, or leave? Remind me. I voted to stay. You said right, so you voted to stay. Okay. Um, those who voted to leave, maybe they have an opinion as well, saying, you know, and, and we've heard them on this programme as well, that now they know what 
what is up for grabs and, and what we're going to lose, they, they may change their mind. And that's why you're thinking it would stay with Remain if you had a second vote. Well, that's it. If you're going to be ruled from somewhere else, it's going to tell dictate to us what we have to do in this country. Mm-hmm. OK, Michael, thank you very much indeed for your view. Um, still time to get yours in before we get to the top of the hour and uh, take your calls for the Labour leader in Scotland, Richard Leonard, who will be joining me in the studio and uh, taking whatever calls you have, maybe Brexit-related. Uh, you may want to come closer to home and indeed what are the Labour Party uh, policies for Scotland. Uh, any question you want, uh, well, the phone lines for that just open after 11 o'clock. 2020. 401. So the Prime Minister says we have three choices. Um, it might be her deal, no deal, or even no Brexit. Have you got an opinion? Let's hear it. O treble three twenty twenty four zero one is the number. Scotland's talking the podcast. Eight minutes away from eleven. Back on the phone lines. Here's Michelle. Michelle, good morning to you. Good morning, Ali. Good um, morning. That song was quite apt. Don't dream it's over. Mm-hmm. Quite apt for the conversation. Don't dream um, it's over. We are family. <laughs> we do plan these things, you know, Michelle. <laughs> in advance. Very subtle. Right, on you go. What's your co- comment? Um, I was a no voter. And I think that people that voted yes didn't know what they were getting. No vote. Um, hang on, hang on. What do you mean by a no voter? You wanted to remain or you wanted to leave? No, I wanted to remain. Right, okay. No it's no broken. Okay. And I, do you know what? See, in my head, I really do believe that Theresa May and Donald Trump were actually separated at birth because the two of them are off their heads. And for to get through this Brexit, like, the majority said was to leave. And we've signed up, it's like going out for Black Friday with all your money, but you don't know what you're buying. You're going into a shop because it's Black Friday and everything's going to be reduced, but you don't know what you're buying. Mm-hmm. And the same with Brexit, people have signed up for this deal. All right, we'll leave. But we didn't know what we were signing up for. And it turns out that we've, we've not signed up for anything. Because she can't fix anything. To me, she's just another Thatcher. And she's going to ruin Scotland. Right, it's it's um, very strong views, and yep. and obviously, you know. So, where do we go from here, as far as you're concerned? Then another referendum. Another referendum. People right. voted yes, because there's nothing on the table to say. Right, well, this is what we're going to get. Mm-hmm. There's still no clue to what we're going to get. So why fix what's not broken? Just stay as we are, and get through with what we're doing. Because this is going to affect generations. I'll be pushing up the daisies. And this will still be going on. And I don't think it's for the best of the country. OK, thank you. I'm going to leave it there, Michelle, because we're running out of time up to the top of the hour. Uh, but thanks for, for your call. Most appreciated. Uh, let's go now then to the Jolly Joiner. How are you doing? Ali, how many years have I known you? There's been a few. Yeah, well, it's not Jolly, it's the Geordie. Oh, that's right, enough, yeah, yeah, my apologies, my apologies. <laughs> my, my opinion is um, we were a great country on our own before and uh, come out of Europe, Europe can do what it likes because it will do anyway, um, and get out of Europe as soon as possible. Right, so just we should just say no to them and just get get on with it. 
Are we are we strong yeah. are we strong enough then to to run with it ourselves? Britain's always been strong enough. So come March, <laughs> we just say that's it. Goodbye, Europe. Yes. And I think you'll find Europe will actually come out cap in hand and say, hang on, we need, we need to get something sorted out. Because at the moment, Europe is dictating to Britain. Yeah. Um, and no, just come out of it. I, I, so, I see where you're coming from, and, I, and I, there are times I sort of agree with you, you know, that we should be calling their bluff. Yeah, it's like we're going to them cap in hand. Mm-hmm. It's the other way around, I would say. So has it been approached the wrong way since the start of this, do you think? Should we have... When when the UK, when the vote took place and it came out that the UK wanted, the voters wanted out, we should have started leading the negotiations instead of going cap in hand? Yes, instead of us going cap in hand to Europe saying, can we have... Mm-hmm. We should have said, this is what we're doing and if you don't like it, Lumbert, we're out anyway on that date, March. Thank you very much indeed for your view. Thanks. Okay, right, that's it for this hour. Uh, Up to the news at 11. You can start dialing now if you'd like to put a question to Scottish Labour leader Richard Leonard. He'll be with me in the studio just after the news at 11 o'clock. If you have a question you'd like to put to him, the number is 0333 2020 401. Into the second hour of Scotland's talking, the phone lines now open. O treble three twenty twenty four o one. If you'd like to join us and have a question for the Labour leader in Scotland, Richard Leonard, who joins us now. A very good morning to you. Morning, Ali. Good morning. Uh, welcome back once again. It's been Thanks a year, you. I believe, a yearish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and also with us today is our political correspondent, uh, Alan Smith. Alan, good morning to you. Oops, my apologies. Press the wrong button there. Uh, yeah. Is that your theme tune? Alan? That's my theme tune. Yes, yes. Um, we'll we'll be back with both of you in a few seconds' time. Um, but as I mentioned, if you would like to take a call, you'd like to come on the phone lines, o treble three twenty twenty four o one, and you can also get on the uh, websites, of course, and on Facebook. We're all over the place, and hashtag Scotland's Talking is the one. If you'd like to join us there, put a question to Richard. As we say, and all our political leaders, these questions are not set out at all. We take them as they come in. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Right, Alan, kick us off with this then. Well, absolutely. This is uh, Richard joining us back in the programme. The last time I had you on was just before the leadership contest. You've launched a digital campaign today celebrating this as a a year of change and I'm sure lots of people will have their, their, their questions for you about that change and about what you've achieved over the past year but I think we should probably kick off with the, the big issue of the day being Brexit lots of lots of people talking today including Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn being questioned on the idea of a, a people's vote a second EU referendum he says possibly in the future but not for now is that how you see it? Yes, it is. I mean, I've been saying for uh, some considerable time that I thought that um, there would be a real uh, difficulty in Theresa May coming back and getting that deal through uh, the House of Commons. Now, we still have to see uh, a meaningful vote takes take place and we shall see how that pans out. But the signs do not look uh, especially auspicious that it will get support in Parliament. And I think that creates um, a political crisis. Uh, now, there may be internal uh, crises inside the Conservative Party as well, but it certainly for the country, I think, creates a political crisis. And I have 
uh, long advocated the best solution to the resolution of that crisis being a general election. And that's certainly, uh, you know, what I feel today. I've written about that in one of the Sunday papers today. Uh, I am strongly of the view that that's the best way of making a fresh start for us as a country. Would a general election not just delay everything and perhaps this uncertainty that we're seeing right now, does that not just, you know, maintain this uncertainty we're in? No, but because, Alan, the, the truth is that if there was to be a second uh, referendum or a people's vote, that would have to be legislated for. And uh, that would take some time uh, to make its way through uh, the uh, legislature in, uh, in Westminster. And so there is no quick fix in that sense. I think the cleanest way of dealing with this would be through a general election. What makes you so convinced then that a Jeremy Corbyn government would do a better job of these negotiations? Well, um, I certainly don't sit here assuming that if there were to be an election, Labour would win it. I think we've got to deserve to win it. We've got to earn the support of the people. But I think that uh, you know we've set out um, the things that we think ought to be the priority in any negotiation. They clearly haven't been the priorities of Theresa May. We think there should be a close and collaborative working relationship with the EU. Uh, we think that uh, we should be part of a customs union with the EU. We need to uh, defend uh, people's rights, consumer rights, workers' rights, environmental standards. Uh, we need a fair migration policy and we need to look at national security. So... Uh, we, we've been clear about what we think the priorities are and according to those priorities and our tests, we think that Theresa May's deal fails. We heard Jeremy Corbyn in our news at 11 o'clock there saying he's not actually read the full draft uh, Brexit plan because he thinks it's too vague. Have you read the plan? Um, I have read the uh, the political case that accompanies it and I have read uh, various summaries of the plan. I haven't read all 585 pages though, Alan. Not yet, anyway. Nicola Sturgeon says she's going down to London this week to try and get opposition parties to back her plan, which is about remaining in the single market and a customs union. Is that not something Labour could get behind? Well, uh, we think that um, in the end, we do need to respect the outcome of the referendum. And I think that there will be uh, those people who will say that a vote to leave the European Union, which was uh, in the end the judgment of the people, uh, makes it quite difficult to argue that we should continue with a membership of the single market uh, and all of the uh, the uh, requirements that that would bring with it. It would also put us in a single market over which we would have no say over the rules uh, under the framework of that single market. So it's, it's a disadvantageous position potentially to be in. We've, I mean, we've said uh, as a party that we, uh, you know, we keep an open agenda. We don't rule anything out. There are people inside the Labour Party who have been arguing for some considerable time that we ought to be uh, putting forward a case for single market membership of some description. Uh, but I don't think that case has yet been proven. Okay, just a reminder, if you would like to call in, it does not need to be about Brexit. It can be, because that's what we've been talking about in the last hour. That's the main subject that everybody's talking about at the moment. But any subject at all that you would like to ask Richard Leonard, a question that you have, then give us a call now. 0333-2020-401. Let's go to Jeanette. Hello, Jeanette. Hello there. You're through to Richard Leonard. What's your question? My question is about housing for older people. Um, Scotland is not building enough housing to meet the needs of our ageing population. And most, most older people want to remain independent and their homes need to be fit for purpose and the social care also needs to be in place. And it's 
just to ask Richard, what are your plans for more suitable housing for older people, Richard? Uh, Jeanette, good morning. Um, we've set out um, a plan to invest in uh, social and public housing, uh, which would include investment in the kind of housing we need in the future. Uh, so particularly looking at uh, the ageing population. So we've said that we uh, want to see 12,000 homes a year built over a five-year period. And um, by 2021, there'll be uh, another 120,000 people over the age of 60 in Scotland. So there is a, there is a massive and growing uh, uh, demand for uh, uh, public services in general, but housing in particular, that suits the needs of those people. And uh, many older people do want to stay in their own homes, uh, but there also uh, comes a point where some people do need to contemplate uh, whether that's uh, in the long term uh, the best place for them uh, and maybe they'd want to move into uh, some form of uh, supported accommodation. In some cases it can be sheltered uh, housing. And one of the things that's uh, concerned me um, since uh, I've become a member of the Scottish Parliament is that I don't see sufficient uh, public investment in publicly provided uh, housing of that kind. Um, and uh, there's an increasing reliance, I think, on the private sector stepping in uh, to, um, uh, to provide uh, accommodation uh, for people. Now, there may be a role for uh, the private sector in there, but I think it's principally one uh, that I would like to see being led by local authorities. Uh, down the years... Um, accommodation, including sheltered accommodation, has been provided by local authorities. We've seen with increased pressure on local government budgets. Uh, those are some areas uh, where there has been um, uh, there have been cuts, uh, uh, the removal of sheltered wardens, and so on. Uh, and, and I don't think uh, that uh, signals an improvement in the quality of life for people. Often it can be a step backwards. So I would like to see us. Uh, uh, getting away from the politics of austerity, investing in public services, investing in housing uh, and investing in those services which are so, so important for our uh, ageing population. Jeanette, how does this particular subject concern you? How does it affect you? Oh, she's gone. Right, OK. We lost her for a second there, but that's maybe just gone. I, I, it was something that interests me, Richard, because I heard of uh, someone in the last couple of weeks who was talking to me and um, a member of their family uh, had to be taken into a care home for obviously their own needs. But uh, it, what shocked me was it was £989 a week. That's astonishing, isn't it? really is. Yeah. It, it is. And uh, and again, one of the things I think we need to do as a society is is have a discussion about how we are going to provide for those kind of facilities in the long term when we know that demand is going to increase. Uh, and, and what I've said is that um, we need to take a leaf out of the book of the 1945 generation. And, you know, we, we celebrate this year 70 years of the National Health Service because uh, even in the ravages of a, a bankrupt economy after the war, uh, there were still uh, visionary people in politics who were prepared to see the bigger picture and uh, think big and act radically. And I think we need to think big and act radically when we're looking at long-term care mm -hmm. uh, for the elderly. Uh, and, of course, the, the NHS principle was to pay for uh, uh, treatment at the point of need 
out of general taxation. And so um, I, I just think we need to have that broader discussion as a society about whether we need to look at the levels of general taxation uh, to see how we can invest in the kind of support that people will need long term. I'm often reminded by some of my older friends that, um, of course, not everybody who's old uh, requires uh, home care visits yep. and uh, sheltered accommodation, mm -hmm. but it is in the end about giving people dignity in retirement. And as a society, I think that's an important measure of how civilised uh, we are. Indeed. Right, let's go to Lorna. Lorna, good morning to you. Uh, hi there, hi. You're through to uh, Richard Leonard. What's your point? Uh, hi, Richard. Just don't want to drag it back to Brexit, but that was the question that I posed, so I better ask it. Uh, as if you were First Minister, obviously still with the Scottish Labour Party, how would you approach negotiations, discussions with Theresa May at present about her Brexit deal? Well, uh, Lorna, thanks for that question. I mean, the, um, the, one of the problems uh, that has been apparent over the course of the last year uh, is that Theresa May, uh, the Whitehall machinery and the Conservative Party have almost uh, um, forgotten that devolution took place 20 years ago. They act as though everything could just be centralised when it's repatriated from the European Union uh, in Whitehall and at Westminster. And, the tr and so we've had a, a, an ongoing battle, uh, uh, and it's not just as in Scotland. Uh, uh, our uh, friends in uh, the Welsh government have been having the same battles uh, to try to get an understanding uh, that uh, post-Brexit, uh, when powers come back to the UK, they should rest uh, at the devolved level where it's appropriate. So areas like fishing, farming, public procurement, state aids, all these areas which will come back to the UK should be uh, rightly uh, settled in the Scottish Parliament and indeed the Welsh Assembly in that case. So I think that should be p part of, uh, of our approach. But I also think that um, Theresa May uh, simply is following a an ideological path uh, which is based on a kind of free market economics. And if you look at uh, the, uh, the, the proposed deal, uh, there is quite a lot of talk about free trade areas, the freedom of movement of capital or investment, uh, and very little uh, uh, proper acknowledgement of workers' rights and so on. So I, I, I think that there has been um, a, an attempt by the Tories to try to push Brexit in a certain way. I don't think that's the best way for the economy or the best way for working people, and I think we need to try to get it back onto grounds uh, that gives at least some kind of security for people, some kind of stability for people in what will be a fairly choppy process. I mean, um, uh, Lorna, I um, campaigned to remain uh, back in 2016 and one of the reasons I did that was because I thought that there would be an economic shock if we withdrew from the European Union and, and I've, you know, I've not really changed my mind on that. I think it's going to be very, very difficult uh, to navigate and negotiate, but at least we should have... Uh, people in there who are arguing the case for uh, a jobs and economy first Brexit and, and one that uh, understands that we need to continue with the kind of environmental standards, the, the rights that working people have at work uh, in the uh, medium and long-term future. Lorna, what would you like to see the First Minister, um, whether it be in the future, Richard or whoever, um, what would you like to see them being doing right now? Well, I think that obviously the Scottish fisheries, I think there was probably quite a lot of uh, fishermen voted to leave, hoping that, that that would protect their jobs and obviously the waters that they fish. I think that that certainly should come back to the Scottish Parliament. So I think that would be the outcome that they would be looking to get to protect those. Obviously, there was um, talk about resignations to the Scottish Tories um, 
this week, but they've obviously not followed that through. So um, I think that that's the people who did vote to leave. I think they want, would want the powers here. I voted to remain myself. So, but anything that could come back to Scottish Parliament and give us more say, then I think that should be the way to go. Okay, thank you, um, Richard. Would you say just going just on Lorna's point on the fisheries there? Have fishermen been to use a pun, and I don't mean to sold down the river? Well, uh, I mean, I've had discussions with um, uh, local fishermen's uh, federations in the Shetland Islands. I've spoken to uh, Bertie Armstrong, who's the kind of leader of the Scottish Fishermen's Federation. And they have always taken quite an optimistic view uh, about the future of uh, our fisheries. Uh, I think uh, what's been proven this week uh, is that um, the Scottish uh, fisheries cannot be... Uh, uh, c- cannot be looked after properly in the hands of the Conservatives. Because once again, in this uh, draft agreement that's uh, been put forward this week, uh, there are no guarantees uh, over uh, the um, the ownership and control of our uh, inshore mm-hmm. fishing waters. And I think that that creates real concerns uh, about um, the future of the industry. There, those people in the industry have been banking on uh, uh, exclusivity, uh, a growth in the industry, new investment in the industry but it looks pretty clear that the European Union wish to uh, hold a negotiation over that and they are keen to retain access to UK waters. OK, let's go to Douglas. Douglas, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. You're through to Richard Leonard. What's your point? Hello, Richard. Uh, my point is I'm from Dundee and I'm calling with regards to the material enclosure and how you, how you would see to replacing the Michelin jobs and the proposed uh, 1,300 jobs that are uh, going to be uh, lost from the NHS day side. Uh, We were promised renewable jobs and uh, decommissioning jobs uh, that never materialised. So we in in Dundee, uh, uh, you know, we go from um, a high of a few weeks ago with the uh, tourism that's promised, with the um, the opening of the V&A, and now we have um, a bit of a shock with Michelin and and as um, Douglas says, many jobs that were promised that just haven't arrived. What's the next step here, Richard? Um, Ali, Douglas, first of all, um, it's my view that uh, we shouldn't um, accept that these Michelin jobs are going. I think that there is an important uh, job for the Trade Union Unite uh, to do, uh, to work with uh, the company, uh, work with government uh, and government agencies to try to find a way through this that avoids the factory being closed. And I don't, I'm, you know, I spent 20 years as a trade union organiser myself, so I don't underestimate the scale of the challenge that's faced. But I do think it's incumbent on all of us to work together constructively to try to find a way through this. Um, I, I, I think that there is, um, you know, I was reading um, the Dundee Courier uh, over the last week, which and, and uh, the reporters there had been over to Ballymena to speak to the uh, folk in Northern Ireland where the plant closed early this year. It being announced uh, the Ballymena plant was going to close, I think, in 2015. So they've got some experience of uh, of what happened there. And, uh, and certainly the, the overwhelming message seemed to be that everything should be done to fight to save the facility. Everything should be done to fight to save uh, the site and the jobs. Uh, and I think uh, that's got to be the uh, absolute focus and determination of everybody involved. Do you not think that's happening at the moment? Well, obviously, see these, these discussions ongoing between Scottish government and UK government. You're saying everybody should be fighting for these jobs. The way you're saying it, it's almost you've got doubts that that's 
taking place? No, uh, it's, well, look, Alan, let me give you an example. At First Minister's questions a couple of weeks ago, uh, Willie Rennie stood up and asked the First Minister, uh, did she think that the workers at Dundee should get the same redundancy package as those workers at Ballymena got? That's completely jumping the gun. I mean, pe- if, if people think that what we're uh, at the stage at is looking at what kind of package people get to leave, I think uh, I think that's a complete misreading of where we need to be. But that was where a question we... from Willie Rennie and not from the Scottish government. Sure, take on it. sure, it was. But uh, but I did, uh, but I'm 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 keen to make sure that everybody who's involved uh, in taking action around this, but also discussing it in public forums like this, understands that there is a job to be done to try to retain these jobs. The other thing I'm bound to comment on as a more wider point is um, it's it's useful to have these action groups. And uh, and I was involved in the Scottish Steel Task Force a few years ago before I became an MSP, uh, where we successfully served the uh, the steel plant at DL and Clyde Bridge, and, and I welcomed that um, outcome. Um, but we need to get beyond a situation where all we're doing is reacting all the time. We need to have a more proactive planned industrial strategy, which looks at what we can do to invest properly in the long-term manufacturing base of Scotland. And, uh, you know, it, it isn't enough anymore simply to be uh, responding when things go wrong. We need to start planning so that things go right in the first place. The other point, just on the NHST side, you know, we've um, raised over the course of the last year uh, on a number of occasions the the poor management of uh, NHST side, uh, the financial deficit that it faces, um, which uh, unfortunately is not entirely unique to Tayside. I mean, one of the things that um, shocked me when I became an MSP was I thought the National Health Service budget was protected. I knew local government budgets were um, under fire, um, but I thought NHS uh, budgets in Scotland were protected. Actually, just about every health board in the country is having to find uh, substantial savings or cuts, as I would uh, probably mm-hmm. uh, describe them. So, so the, there is a particular problem uh, in uh, NHS Tayside. Uh, the Audit Commission have had a look at it, uh, and uh, there is concern that jobs may be at risk. But again, uh, I would uh, urge uh, everybody to work together to try and find a way uh, to make sure that there is no diminution of service uh, uh, for the people of Tayside. And certainly, Ali, you know, the, there is um, an old saying that a job cut is a service cut, and I think that's no more true in the NHS. Uh, but, you know, it's not true no more uh, anywhere than the NHS, where I think that the, if there was to be a loss of that kind of order, over a 1,000 jobs, uh, presumably in a fairly short scale uh, of time, I think that would have a devastating effect on the levels of health service uh, across Tayside, which would be completely unacceptable. Or treble three twenty twenty four oh one. Your guest this morning is Richard Leonard. If you'd like to put a question to him, then that's the number to call. O treble three twenty twenty four oh one. Back with more in a moment. Scotland's talking the podcast. A very good Sunday morning. It's 11.33. This is Scotland's Talking. I'm Ali Bally. Your guest this morning is leader of the Labour Party in Scotland, Richard Leonard. And also here is our political correspondent, Alan Smith. Yeah, good morning, Richard. One of the main reasons you're here today is obviously this is you. A year today you were um, elected as Scottish Labour leader. Um, the party's put out its, its digital campaign saying that you, you've led a year of real change. But for, for you, I mean, if you had to do some sort of kind of self-evaluation over the past year, how would you rate yourself as Scottish Labour leader? Well, um, we are a party which sits in parliamentary terms in third place. 
And so there is a huge uh, challenge ahead of us, uh, but it's one I think that we can meet. And I think the progress that we've made in the last year has been around uh, shifting the terms of the debate in Scotland. I think that we've now uh, reached a point where we're seeing um, the adoption of some of our ideas, uh, whether that be on taxation, whether that be in moving the debate about uh, the National Health Service and what needs to happen there, uh, whether that be about things like primary one testing, uh, I think that there is um, that there are lots of examples where pressure from Labour has both uh, started to change the terms of debate, but also has, has achieved, uh, even in opposition, has, has, has achieved things that have made people's lives better. So I think that there is, uh, there's an awful lot of work still to do, but um, for me, it's the most important job in Scottish politics. But as, as a leader and being in charge of the party, obviously, you know, there seem to be a lot of issues over the past year within the party that you've had to to deal with and sort out. No, no doubt that started even before you became uh, leader a year year ago today with uh, uh, Kezi going into the jungle. These challenges, how, how do you feel you've met these challenges? Well, um, you're right, Alan. Some uh, some challenges I've had to face have been uh, inherited rather than uh, ones that have uh, occurred on my uh, uh, time as leader. But... What we need to try and uh, get across as the Scottish Labour Party is um, more about what we are for. We need to be much more outward looking. And it's, it, if I'm honest with you, it would be quite easy to get bogged down in internal party management issues. Um, uh, and, and often when I come on media programmes, uh, that's uh, principally what I'm asked about rather than policy issues or what it is the Labour Party stands for. So I'm keen to try to uh, start to build a, a case for Scottish Labour, which is based on uh, some enduring principles the Labour Party has always stood for around things like being comfortable again talking about public ownership. So we had a debate in the Parliament this week where we called for ScotRail to be taken back into public ownership, uh, uh, whether it's talking about an end to austerity. Um, earlier this year, the SNP's uh, Growth Commission uh, talked about another decade of austerity. We know the Tories are in favour of austerity, despite what Philip Hammond and Theresa May say. Uh, and we're uh, putting forward an alternative to that, which is about significant public investment. We're talking about things like an industrial strategy, so we don't just react, uh, but we've got a kind of forward-looking, proactive approach uh, in which government works with business, but also works with trade unions. So it, it's it's trying to shift those uh, terms of debate, and, and that's what my job in the end is, because politics, when it comes down to it, is a battle of ideas. Uh, and I am absolutely convinced that the ideas of the Labour Party are the ones that best will meet the challenges that the people of Scotland face. Yeah, you, you say that we tend to focus a lot on perhaps infighting personalities, relationships in the, the run-up to, to your leadership contest. A lot of the questions were about how's the relationship between the candidates and, and Jeremy Corbyn? You've been in this job now a year. Has your relationship with Jeremy Corbyn changed over that year? I mean, do you see eye to eye on everything? Well, uh, we share a broadly similar political outlook. Um, there are t occasions when we take a different view or reach a different conclusion. And I suppose the most obvious recent example of that uh, was over taxation policy uh, for the better off people in society. And so uh, John McDonnell said that the Labour Party at Westminster would vote um, for Philip Hammond's proposal to raise the threshold for uh, the higher tax uh, earnings uh, 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 level of 40%. Uh, 
Uh, and we've said that we didn't think that was appropriate in Scotland. And so that, for example, when the Scottish budget comes before uh, the Scottish Parliament in a few weeks' time, uh, if there is an attempt to shadow Philip Hammond's proposals, then we would oppose that. We think we think at a time of austerity, at a time when we're seeing a real squeeze in public services, local services, uh, the wrong thing to do is to reduce the tax burden on, on the better off. We think uh, people with the broader shoulders uh, should pay their fair share of taxation. OK, let's go back on the, the phone lines then. And here's Joseph. Joseph, good morning to you. Morning, Ellen. Nice, sunny, but cold morning. Indeed. What's your point then? Well, Leonard Richard is sitting there. He could be the leader in Scotland. If Labour had used their head way back in the 80s during the Thatcher and Scargo era, when they lost all the mines, the shipyards, you name it, engineering factories, they didn't progress forward, Ali, because in those days, the whole family voted Labour, as you know. And then the women seen through it, they started thinking against it. And that's where the, 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 the thing about Labour was. They didn't realise how it all, they weren't getting voted in. They were losing thousands and thousands of votes in Scotland and the northeast of England and all around there. And that was a downfall. They never thought, they thought everybody would keep thinking Labour, voting for Labour. That was a downfall. And he, he might have been sitting, the Scottish Nationalists and the Conservatives shouting at him, he could have been the leader. So you're saying that the party took the votes for granted? Yes, well, I always did in Scotland, Ali. That was another thing. Your father and your mother and the son or daughter, when they were working, they, everybody voted for Labour. But when that, in the 80s came, when the factories were all shutting down, Ali, it was, you know how what happened. The tremendous people, actually, a lot of people they, they fell out, they mm-hmm. divorced, because there was no money coming in, Ali, and the Labour thought they could just carry on, oh, we'll get votes, we'll get votes. But the women, it was the women that stuck up, no more. You know. Has he got a point there, Richard? Uh, well, th- there may be the semblance of a point. I have to say my personal experience uh, of uh, the Labour Party was joining it in Stirling in uh, the early 1980s. And um, in 1983 in Stirling, a guy called Michael Forsyth was elected as the MP. And uh, I don't think the Labour Party uh, in my formative years took for granted anything at all. We had a real fight on... Uh, to uh, uh, to both uh, keep the council Labour, which was important, but also to try to unseat Michael Forsyth. And eventually, uh, in 1997, we were able to do that. And I was fortunate enough to be the election agent in that election. So um, I, I've never uh, taken people's votes for granted. I, I think that there is um, a, a, an understanding back in the Labour Party that we need to start to be a party which is organising in communities again, but also we need to try to re-establish ourselves as the Workers' Party. You know, the, the Labour Party was set up by the trade unions and there have been times uh, when uh, people have tried to um, uh, uh, sever that tie completely or at least dilute it. I've always thought that um, it's one of the strengths of the Labour Party that we have that link with the trade unions. And, uh, and since I've become the leader of the Scottish Labour Party, I've attempted to deepen uh, that relationship and not just um, deepen it with the kind of the, uh, the chiefs of the trade union movement, the regional secretaries and Scottish secretaries and so on. Uh, I've been aiming to try to do that with working people in their workplace. So uh, a, a year ago when I was elected, uh, one of the first things I did was to go to the Bifab yard uh, in Methyl because... I thought it was important to send out a signal that the Labour Party is on the side of working people and those working people were um, working in at that yard to try to to try to try save it. So, um, uh, of course, uh, it's important that we uh, reignite uh, that link with working people. Of course, the Labour Party should never take people's votes for granted. And I think, um, you know, if anybody laboured under that uh, illusion, I think uh, over the course of the last few years, 
uh, they will have been uh, uh, given a bit of shock treatment about it. As I said, my own uh, experience uh, in uh, the Labour Party has been we've always had to fight for votes and I'm sure that we will always have to fight for votes in the future too. Thank you and thanks to Joseph. John Mickey will be with you in a moment. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. John, good morning to you. Hi, Ali, how's it going? Ah, it's all right, thank you. Right, what point would you like to make to Richard? Um, I wanted to bring up an issue that, apart from Brexit being the big issue of this week, was the UN raconteur to the UK talked about how had a, re- a report on poverty and how that he called it not just a, a disaster but a calamity uh, and an you know an economic just a real economic disaster. One of the things that's driven that is the role of uni- universal credit, which is now going across Scotland uh, in, in Glasgow. And I was wondering now that the Scottish government actually has the powers to alleviate that by topping up benefits and has a new social security agency. What would Richard uh, and Scottish Labour actually do? Definitely to try and alleviate one of the main drivers of poverty, and one of the things that's one of the universal credits, one of the things that's an advice they said is actually driving homelessness. So I'd like to know uh, what Scottish Labour would do about that. Uh, John, thanks very much indeed. Well, look, we would certainly um, uh, wish to see a halt to universal credit uh, immediately because there is uh, there are a whole lot of uh, flawed um, aspects of its uh, design and uh, implementation. Uh, most obviously it's paid in arrears and so people are driven into debt and destitution. Uh, There is a fairly uh, draconian sanctions regime uh, that goes with it. There are aspects uh, of it too, uh, like for example, um, if there are uh, two people eligible uh, for universal credit uh, in the one household, it just gets paid into one account. And uh, there are lots of people who've expressed concerns that that in in many cases uh, will be uh, predominantly uh, uh, the male of the household, if that's the if that's the family setup, uh, and um, and and will um, in that sense uh, not be uh, split evenly and necessarily get to where it needs to go. So there are there are some problems uh, around that too, and a lot of the in work conf- uh, conditionality that goes with the universal credit, I think, is is also uh, ringing alarm bells. Uh, and ironically, the people that would be uh, that, that would be hit hardest by universal credit are those people, for example, on zero hours contracts. So there, so there are some fundamental flaws uh, with universal credit, which is why even on Thursday of this week, at first minister's questions, in amongst all the Brexit uh, talk, uh, I thought it was important to stress again the need for uh, intervention uh, by the first minister uh, and uh, the DWP in the end uh, to uh, to call a halt to it. Uh, because it is um, n- no doubt uh, going to be a big factor in driving uh, more people into poverty. I mean, the, 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 we've seen successive reports which show the extent to which um, our society uh, is becoming more unequal and more people are being uh, driven into poverty. And, and I think that there has got to be, uh, for us as a society, a sharp new focus uh, on what we can do to build a more equal uh, society and to uh, end poverty. What, one of the yeah. one of the facets, John, of my uh, uh, adulthood is that uh, you know I remember, and uh, Joseph was speaking earlier in the program about uh, the days of deindustrialization and the pits closing and uh, and mass unemployment, and I remember yeah. those days uh, all too well. They were an era where most people who were living in poverty were living in poverty because they were unemployed. Today. Uh, we are seeing an increasing number of people living in poverty, living below the poverty line, but who are in work. 
And I think 70% of all children who live below the poverty line in Scotland live in a household where at least one adult is in work. So we need to tackle uh, the low-wage economy, we need to tackle the way universal credit works, and we need to see uh, the Scottish government using the powers that it's got to drive up things like the living wage. I mean, the, we, we can't continue... Uh, to go along as a low-wage, low-productivity, low-investment economy. Uh, even if Brexit wasn't happening, that wouldn't be uh, the way forward. But especially with Brexit around the corner, it makes it even more imperative that we step up our efforts to put the uh, economy in Scotland on a wholly different footing. Would you not then back the, the full range of social security powers then being devolved to Holyrood so you would have greater control over that? Well, there is an argument for that, but for me, um, uh, universal credit is not a constitutional outrage, it's a moral outrage. And uh, and it, actually, having a welfare system which is run across the UK, uh, on the whole, uh, provides for better scope for distribution, redistribution, um, uh, and transfer payments uh, from those uh, who are in need at the time when they are in need. Uh, from those who've got the broadest shoulder. So I'm I'm largely uh, uh, comfortable about uh, the welfare state being run at a UK level. And of course, uh, even, even more, with more, the than, government. more than Nicola Sturgeon, I want to see Theresa May kicked out and I want to see Labour government elected that would have a wholly different approach to these uh, areas of welfare policy. OK, let's go back and try and get another couple of calls in. Charlie, hello, good morning. Uh, good morning, Ali, how are you? Okay? I'm fine, thank you. You're through to Richard. What's your point? Um, my question for yeah, Richard is yeah, this: I am a, I'm an environmentalist, and I've been following the the, uh, the increasingly scary um, uh, climate change and global warming situation over quite a few years now. And um, can I just read a quote from the UN from? the recent uh, intergovernmental panel on climate change. I'm going to have to hurry you, Charlie. We're running out of time here. OK, right. Well, it's basically saying that um, to keep global warming within uh, a 1.5 degree sort of limit would require rapid, far-reaching and unprecedented changes in all aspects of society. Right? Now, um, what they're basically... I mean, there is no other technology available that cuts... That, that, that can cut global warming other than cutting back in fossil fuels. Okay, um, there is a, there's, I've, just, I've just seen there that there has been a, a new oil field discovered in the North Sea, which would possibly, is, is described as um, a sizable discovery, which could involve uh, more than 50 million barrels. If we're, following the, if we're following the logic of cutting back on global warming, surely that oil must stay in the ground. Okay, there, there's the question for you. The oil stays in the ground. What keeps the rest of the country going? Well, Ali, we, I mean, we do have a carbon-based economy at the moment, largely, and uh, many of us uh, believe that that is not sustainable, that we need to see a transition, but it needs to be a just transition uh, in such a way that um, uh, people's jobs are not just discarded and people's livelihoods are not just uh, dispensed with. Uh, so we need to see a move from uh, a, an all-too-often toxic economy to a more sustainable society, and that will require uh, greater levels of planning, less reliance on the market, uh, and uh, a leadership uh, role being adopted by governments, both a UK-level government, uh, but also a Scottish governmental level, which is one of the reasons why many of us have been disappointed that so far 
the um, uh, Scottish government has not been prepared to sign up to the net zero emissions by 2050 target, which many environmental groups are campaigning for, and the Scottish Labour Party has adopted. So whether oil should stay in the ground, um, I, I think we, we clearly need over time to see a move away from an oil-based economy, but I don't think we can simply uh, switch it off overnight and become uh, wholly dependent uh, on imports. I, I think that there needs to be a planned approach to uh, the changeover that we need to see, but we do need to give people uh, the vision of the different kind of economy that we want, and it is one uh, which is no longer... Uh, dependent uh, on some of the old ways. It's about new industries, new jobs uh, and uh, green jobs. I, it used to be said that um, we needed a green job strategy. My view is that every job should be a green job. We should be looking to see how we can change our methods of production uh, and how they are applied in such a way that it benefits people at work, uh, but also make sure that, um, that uh, it's carried out in a way that's environmentally sustainable. So I I am somebody who is uh, strongly supportive of that green agenda, uh, somebody who wants to see uh, a change in the way our economy is run. And one of the reasons why I want to see that change, why I want to see more democracy in the economy, for example, uh, is because I want to see a move away from uh, the way things have been to uh, a different kind of economic future. OK, thank you very much indeed uh, for that comment. And I think that's actually where we will have to leave it, Alan. Well, absolutely. I know there's going to be a, a, a busy... Another busy week ahead is, is the, the you know Brexit plays out over the next week. People will be looking to see what happens next. What will the Labour Party be doing over the next week when all of this is happening? Well, um, the, there are, I think, uh, discussions at a UK level around the, the budget and whether or not that gets passed. I think that there will be huge amounts of attention. There's no getting away from it over Brexit. Uh, and uh, we will be pushing again for... Uh, a renegotiation. I think Theresa May is talking about going to Brussels next weekend, uh, presumably to um, sign off a deal which hasn't even gone to Parliament, which is uh, is rather bizarre. I mean, I, 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 I'm not entirely sure I follow the logic of the democracy of the Conservative Party or indeed this Conservative government. I think that they have got um, a, a strange uh, order of doing things. We ought to live in a parliamentary democracy. These things ought to be put to Parliament. Uh, and I think um, uh, there is even yet a prospect of Parliament taking decisive action to remove this government and force a general election. Thank you very much indeed, both uh, Richard Leonard and Alan Smith for joining us on Scotland's Talking today and indeed taking our listeners' calls.